welcome to Organized Crime and Punishment, the best spot in town to hang out and talk about history and crime, with your hosts, Steve and Mustache Chris. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. In the last couple of episodes, Chris and I talked about the real history and background of mobsters Richard, the Iceman Kuklinski, Roy DeMeo, and his famous crew. Today, we're going to talk about the 2012 film based on these events, The Iceman, starring Michael Shannon, Winona Ryder, Ray Liotta, and more. So I really want to share a quick comment from our last YouTube live stream from one Wolfgang Schmuck. That's a great, that's a great uh, <laughs> YouTube name. So um, he says, the guy on the right has the most perfect, clean-looking mustache I've ever seen. Uh, mustache, how you doing? Well, oh, doing good. I'm pretty, uh, like the rest of my friends and family, uh, they make jokes about the mustache. I've had it for so long now. I just, I'm just going to keep it. I'm never getting rid of it. And apparently, uh, somebody else pointed out that I look like, uh, Chris Rosenberg. And then I just, <laughs> we were just looking at a picture and I was like, yeah, it's actually a little bit uncanny. Like his eye, like his hair is longer and stuff like that, but. I mean, I, I see it in the eyes and then the mustache. I mean, there is definitely some similarity there. Wait, when did Chris Rosenberg die and when were you born? Were you, are you Chris Rosenberg <laughs> reincarnated, maybe? I don't know. It'll be for the people to decide. Now, this movie, yeah. uh, The Iceman, I have to say it has... I watched it probably more or less when it came out and I liked it. This movie has so grown on me to to maybe it's one of my favorite mob movies of all time, because I wouldn't say just overall, it's not the most accurate movie I've ever seen, but it really captures something about the times, about Richard Kuklinski and about what else was going on in the New York mafia scene in the 70s and the 80s. What did you think in your first couple of watches of this movie? Like you, when it first came out, I watched it right away because I heard about Richard Kuklinski and then Michael Shannon. I always kind of, I've always enjoyed his acting. So I just, I watched it and I enjoyed it. But, and I knew a little bit about Roy DeMeo and like a little bit of the history, but not a ton. But like since doing like the two kind of deep dive background episodes and really reading about that particular area and time period of the mob, I've 
like yourself, I actually kind of appreciate this movie more than I did before, which is I've heard opposite. I've heard the opposite from people where they they read more about Richard and they're like, oh, this movie doesn't doesn't do it properly. And it's well, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later. I think like you pointed out and me and you were talking earlier in the week, it it really captures the whole feel of that era that you get from when you do some research into uh because it's a very particular era, like era of the mob, especially like the DeMeo and Koglinski, like even location of like where they were doing a lot of their work. It's um, it's a very particular feel to it. And I believe the movie captures it really well. Yeah, we'll get into some of the we'll talk about some of the scenes that we really enjoyed and talk a little bit about the historical historical accuracy of it. But I think people will see that even though some things weren't exactly historically correct and they changed some names and they they did some weird stuff with the with the timing it really was each scene was something that Richard Kuklinski talked about or that had actually happened yeah um so let's maybe talk a little bit about some of those details that were changed right off the bat if we look at um the some of the main characters so uh Michael Shannon played Richard Kuklinski Winona Ryder played uh, Richard's wife they called her Deborah but um her real name was Barbara Kuklinski and I think she might be the first person to talk about because I think she really nailed something with Barbara Kuklinski. You can watch some interviews she did on some shows in the 90s and in the early 2000s. And I think she captured something so specific about and so accurately about uh, Barbara Kuklinski. What did you think? I, I I agree with that, too. Winona Ryder really captures that kind of working class, like home, like, homeless and that i'm trying what's the word i'm thinking of like that working class like she's working class but she you know she's very wholesome yeah i think that's the best way i can describe it i think she also you you get through her acting and several of the scenes that she knows there's something up with Richard, but she's willing to turn on a blind eye to it. And I think that that's what I really got from the from the real Barbara. She knew somewhere deep inside of her. Obviously, she knew Richard had a hair trigger temper and he would trash the place. But I think she intrinsically knew that there was something way darker to Richard than even what she saw in the house. Yeah, and it, it you see it right like the first scene with them when they're on their first date. She notices he's got a grim reaper tattoo on his on a on his hand, and says, "Oh, you know, I had this one back in the day. I was trying to look tough." And you get a sense that she's she's attracted to it because she probably you know is attracted to the the tough guy, the bad boy, the reformed bad boy. I know it's a cliche, but it's the truth. Um, in actuality, the tattoo wasn't a grim reaper. It was um come it was it was a tattoo that him and this gang that he, when he was r- r- pretty young coming up r- the coming up roses gang, they all got the same tattoo in the hand. Um, but I mean, the grim reaper serves, says, you know, serves the same purpose. Now the, um, I think it's probably good. We talk about the Gemini crew of Ray Liotta playing Roy DeMeo. 
James Frank, or not James Franco, he'll come in later, but David Schwimmer playing, they called him Josh Rosenthal, but he was really representing Chris Rosenberg. And then Robert Davi playing Leo Merckx, but who was actually Anthony Gaggi, Nino Gaggi. And I think there was something about each one of those that so masterfully just absolutely grabbed who they were supposed to be, especially Ray Liotta. I've been saying this for weeks that we've been talking about this. Roy DeMeo was the role Ray Liotta was born to play. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, and just watching this movie, you know, going and doing the back research for the Roy DeMeo episode, it just makes me want to go. It's terrible to think that we're never going to get a Ray Liotta Roy DeMeo movie because it would have been perfect um yeah he was born to play this role and I mean I this might be a little because he doesn't have like a ton of screen time in the movie but if you had somebody else playing Roy DeMeo I just don't think the movie would have worked as well because you need somebody with the same kind of intensity that Michael Shannon has to play off back and forth off each other because you know reading the movie that seemed to I mean reading uh for the movie that seemed to kind of be the relationship that Roy DeMail and Richard had in real life according to Richard depends on who you believe but yeah there used to there was like a certain level of intensity between the two of them then um the the interplay of Chris Rosenberg uh Josh Rosenthal and Roy uh I thought that they got that really well too I know some people criticize that it seemed that they played down Chris Chris's role but I think that he really they really got something with that in that David Schwimmer looked close in age to Ray Liotta I don't know how close they are in actuality they're probably fairly close in age um and uh Chris Rosenberg was just a little bit younger than Roy but they really had a father-son relationship yeah, and David Schwimmer is just as an actor, I thought was a perfect choice to play uh, Chris Rosenberg. I know that sounds kind of crazy because he's like the guy from Friends. But when you read Chris, Chris Rosenberg, he comes across as a guy that tries really hard to be to not be what he is, which is like a Jewish guy, uh, like tries really hard to be really Italian. And it comes across when you read it that he comes across almost as like a try hard. Yeah. And David Schwimmer plays that type of role that was basically the role that he played on friends and it comes comes across perfectly in this movie but you get to see him as this brutal killer too like chris rosenberg had absolutely no problem killing people and i and didn't you get that i think that came through with david schwimmer Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, and like Chris Rosenberg was like his, well, I don't know, we won't get into it. It's pretty, pretty graphic. But uh, yeah, you definitely get that sense with David Schwimmer in this movie. But when he shoots out the the two uh, coke dealers, right, you see the ruthlessness there, uh, for sure. But, it, you know, I would have liked to have seen more of them in the movie. But I mean, there's time constraints. And but yeah, I thought David hit it out of the park. Steve here. We are a member of the Parthenon Podcast Network, featuring great shows like James Early's Key Battles of American History podcast and many other great shows. Go over to ParthenonPodcast.com to learn more. And here is a quick word from our sponsors. And then uh, 
I loved Robert Davi as uh, Nino Gaggi, even though his role was tinier and smaller than even uh, Ray Liotta's or David Schwimmer's. I think, he, again, he captured something of the pompousness and maybe the foolishness of Nino Gaggi, like the pettiness, how pompous yeah. and petty Nino was. I think Robert Davi really grabbed that. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it's I'd like to I don't really know why they didn't use Nino Gaggi's name. I I assume it probably some legal stuff, like maybe descendants of like Gaggi or something to run to sue, and that's why they use Leo Marx. Uh it's probably I would assume it has something to do with that. Um yeah, he like he really does capture just like the pettiness of Nino and the cheapness, and there's a couple of scenes that illustrate that. And this is the thing with this movie, like we pointed out, like yeah, it's not historically accurate in, in some ways, but it really it captures everything that you need to know about like Nino Gaggi, like in terms of not wanting to pay for work that he said he was going to pay for and like the pettiness. Some guy, you know, they get into a little, you know, scuffle or what have you, and then he hires a hitman to go kill him. You know, that's something Nino would do. We know that because Nino ends up killing that boxer that got a, he got into a fist fight with like 12 years later he's still steaming about it you know just like pettiness over a broken nose and then the last one i think we have to, we have to mention is chris evans he played robert mr softy prongay and they called him mr freezy in the movie that might have been because mr softy's a trademarked uh name i didn't know i had never seen much with chris evans but he captured magnificently the craziness of robert prongay yeah yeah per, yeah he's i guess he's most famous for playing like captain america right and like the all-american boy and i mean he plays that really well because he kind of does look like the part but it, he i'm totally surprised at just how well he did robert prong i didn't even know it was chris evans when i first watched the movie but then upon multiple viewings i realized it was him and you know, in researching the movie and he based off what Richard told us about Robert Prongay, Chris Evans yeah, hits it out of the park. Like he captures that certain that craziness that is uh, that Robert Prongay was. Let's take it. So we I mean, the acting was really out of this world and we we didn't even I guess we should mention Michael Shannon as Richard Kuklinski. I think one thing that you had mentioned, what did you think about, you mentioned earlier, you know, just talking now that you thought you loved the intensity he brought, but you didn't feel that he brought the physicality of Richard Kuklinski. No, I like the intensity for sure. Um, but when you see pictures of Richard Kuklinski and you read about people describing Richard Kuklinski, he is like literally a monster right like he's six five over 300 pounds and i mean michael shan's pretty tall but he doesn't look like he's over 300 pounds in this movie uh, and i mean that to me that's like a, a little nitpicking thing i guess because i'm how many actors are you going to be able to find that would match like the talent of Michael Shannon and the intensity and plus B six, five, you know, 300 plus pounds. There's not many, there's not many actors that probably out there that you could hire to pull it off. But that's one little thing I would have liked. I would have liked a, a guy that was more physically intimidating. Yeah. I looked up Michael Shannon. He's tall. I think he's well over six feet tall, but he's thin. He's 
you know, even when they showed him in the movie, like uh, uh, up next to Winona Ryder, he was much larger, taller than her, but he didn't physically dominate her and or even um, Ray Liotta as Roy DeMeo, like standing next to him. He was tall, but he didn't physically just completely dwarf these people like he did. I think I even noticed one of the scenes he was clearly wearing lifts to make himself a little tall, probably to make him look a little taller. I mean, they look like 70s shoes, too. So it could have been just that. Yeah. Yeah. That's just my, my, I don't know. That's one that would have been like something they could have done maybe differently. But then it's not that big of a deal. I think Michael Shannon did the role very well. So let's talk about a couple of those individual scenes that really stuck with us. What's maybe one scene that really stuck with you? I mean, um, I would say like the the mo- like the the scene in the porn lab between Richard and Ray because according to Richard this is kind of the way he met um sorry Richard and Roy DeMeo this is kind of uh how they met was Richard was working at this porn lab and I think there was if I'm remembering correctly there was some problem with uh I don't know there wasn't the shipment wasn't going to make out make out on time and you know, Roy just smacks him around a bit. Uh, and according to Richard, like he said to himself, like he swore revenge. He was going to get revenge on uh, Roy for ever putting his hands on him. And it just really captured the the intensity of Richard and the intensity of Roy. And you have like these two, you know, psychotic guys staring each other down. It was uh, perfect. And it kind of shows like the stuff that Richard and Roy were into. We didn't really get into it uh, so much in the background episodes, but like Roy was funding a, a ton of this pornography that was going around in the United States at the time. And wasn't a lot of it wasn't just like normal pornography. There was some pretty vile stuff that we they were um, um, shipping around and Richard was right into it too. And, you know, it's, yeah. So I don't know, to me, that was one of the better scenes in the movie. I liked the scene and it really, I think it like it, it, it got to me and I think I didn't really understand it when I saw it. And I probably didn't even understand it the last couple of times I watched it. I was just watching it today and it hit me that scene where Richard meets with his brother, Joseph in the prison. And that's the scene where I think we get the real hint of Richard's childhood. That's something that they don't show at all in the movie except for one five second flashback in that scene and it really gets dropped after that but i think that for me that's what made me think that this movie you really need to know the story of richard kuklinski going into it or else i think you can go on a kind of a false narrative and i don't know if that's what the filmmakers were trying to get is to get they built this narrative of Richard being like the typical classical family man who maybe starts to fall apart where um, Richard had all this background before he even met Barbara, which if you go back to the previous episodes, you'll hear. And that one scene gave us a little taste of that. A little t- Yeah. And it was something that we had, we didn't get into on the Richard uh, podcast too, is that, that's accurate his brother was murdered um i believe it was young lady and he was in that he was in jail for that um and in the 
Iceman uh, Philip Carlo book, you hear about Richard talks about like trying to help. He was trying to help his brother and they were actually pretty close. And then after his brother Joseph did that, he kind of cut him off. And that's what, what you see in the in that scene is Richard basically just saying like never call again like it's completely done um but the one thing i really liked about that scene is his brother screaming at him saying like you're gonna wind up in here with me and that's exactly what happened i think he was a few cell blocks away from his brother yeah when he was finally caught then i think it was the very next scene after that or maybe it was a little bit longer down when richard kuklinski gets into that uh road rage incident yeah. And I think you again you see who the real Richard Kuklinski was that that whole facade and even the facade that the movie puts up that he's the all-American family man, you know, dad of the year and then he goes on this insane road rage. That's who Richard was 100%. Yeah. And that and then if you in the the Iceman like documentaries in the books, he talks about like just going on these freak road rages. And I mean, that's pretty accurate to what Richard did in real, like in real life, he says he, he killed a few of these people that he went on road rages with. But I mean, it captures, it shows you that they, this is something that triggers Richard off is like, uh, is a certain road, uh, road rage, uh, episodes. Were there any other scenes that really stuck out to you? Um, I like the mod like so when Roy DeMeo hires Richard to be his personal his personal like side special assassin or what have you I me particularly I don't think that's exactly how their relationship was but let's just say in the movie this is how they show it they do a montage of Richard doing a bunch of jobs for Roy and a lot of the the uh killing that he does in that montage is killings that we hear about in the Philip Carlo book. Like I like that touch. So it's not historically accurate how all those killings went down or what have you, but you know, we get the, he uses like the rope in one scene and there was like a couple of other ones. And I just liked it because it, I don't know, it was a certain attention to detail and they, yeah, they changed things a little bit, but I mean, it is somewhat, it is, accurate in spirit one scene that they switched around is um i think it was in both of the books the two major books on richard kuklinski he said that roy pulled an uzi on him at the gemini and was probably going to kill richard but richard was so ice cold like he didn't move and he didn't uh he didn't give that fear factor back to Roy that Roy was really looking for. And they kind of showed that in the car scene where uh, Roy pulls a gun on Richard. And I, that scene, they never really talked about in any of the books, but I think that was kind of a mashup of scenes to just show like how ice cold Richard Kuklinski was that even somebody like as, as psychotic as Roy DeMeo couldn't shake him. Yeah. That that's what, when we talked about it earlier is like that's something that the movie did particularly well was changing the scene a bit to make it the movie flow a little bit better but still capturing the spirit like historically accurate right rich like roy pulling out the uzi as you pointed out yeah they changed it a little bit but they they kind of recreated it in a sense that made more sense in the movie the movie really got me thinking and this i wanted to bump this theory off of you is so we really we in that 
first Richard Kuklinski episode, the background episode, we really came to the conclusion that we thought he was full of it. But I wonder if the the way the timeline works out, if you look at it, Richard's doing really, really well up until the early 80s. And then Roy DeMeo dies in 83, I think it was, somewhere in thereabouts. And it's really after 83, and, and when you get into the mid-90s, that Richard really started screwing up. And I wonder if maybe there is some truth that Richard, maybe he was not an international uh, hitman assassin. I mean, I think that's preposterous, and I think that that's stuff that Richard pulled out later just to get people going and uh, especially his last interviewer i think maybe he was doing that just because he knew they would eat that up that's preposterous but what do you think that about richard was earning under roy and once roy died that's when it really fell apart because richard then had to make his own criminal enterprises after that well, that and it would rich. That was his connection to like hit contracts, right? I guess. And Roy was kind of his his personal capo. Um, I yeah, I can totally, I I can see it. I personally think that like, I think Roy was doing hits for the mob. I think he did special jobs for. I think he did some special jobs for Roy, or Roy at the very least pointed people in Richard Kuklinski's. Uh, direction if you didn't really want much to do with them and you know word got around i that's what i personally think um and i I guess when he saw roy go down maybe he started thinking to himself well i mean if they're gonna take they can take roy out then it's only a matter of time for me maybe and maybe subconsciously he starts getting sloppier because knowing that he'll get caught at least in prison he'll be somewhat safe it's also that it could be that after roy was killed that richard and everybody associated with roy was such damaged goods he couldn't just go work for john Gotti or for the westies or for somebody else and make the kind of uh money that he was making through roy and so he had to get he had to push himself way further than he really was ever comfortable with and i think he had been stealing cars and stuff but it was all such sloppy stuff yeah i think he because he had and all the books they say that he spent money faster than it came in and once that roy money dried up and they kind of show that in the movie too where roy says everybody has to stop doing everything and he essentially laid off richard that that's when richard started getting really sloppy because he had to earn yeah yeah he had to earn and it's also implied in the movie that like he had to he had this urge to kill like that was one of the things it's like oh i'm really good at what i do and it's like yeah part of it's like this is how i make my living but part of it is if i can't just if i can't kill people then i i'm gonna start taking it out on my family and what have you and you kind of see it in the movie where he freaks out uh in real life this happened a lot more often but i mean in in the movie he freaks out and that's when he comes to oh i'm gonna reach out to robert prongay and we're gonna start doing jobs in the side because i think it was implying that he couldn't hold these urges back anymore and he had to un- he had to you know unleash them somehow and he also had to start making some coin yeah that's i think well, that's another thing that the movie shows it's this whole thing with robert prange and 
how much of it, how much of the things that he did with Robert Prange do you believe? Especially what they showed in this movie. They show him as they almost have an industrial freezing uh, setup going and that they're both just doing one contract after another. And I don't get that that was really what they were doing. I mean, from my understanding, they did kind of work together. Did they not? And they like shared tricks of the trade. Uh, they, they bring up the cyanide spray, which is apparent according to Richard, Robert Prong is the one who taught him that trick. And I mean, he talks about it on the, uh, the tapes that they, uh, where he, I don't know, they used it as evidence against him in the, in the court case or whatever, the wiretap. Uh, he talks about like the cyanide spray. I mean, and we talked about Robert Prange, like they did find a guy who was like shot up near, uh, inside his, uh, ice cream truck. And, you know, he was an arsonist and like sounded like a pretty insane person. I mean, I would, I think this part's accurate. Like, I mean, a lot of, to me, a lot of it hinges like Richard's story hinges on Robert Prange. Like, I wish we could have known a bit more about the guy because it just seems if he had made it up, like the whole Robert Prange thing, if he made it up, it's, I mean, what a waste. He should have been a novelist. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. One thing that they did with Robert Prange is that whole, the whole uh, discussion that they had that Robert or Richard and Robert had about Robert wanting to devise this plan where they kill each other's families and um, Richard kills him there. But then he leaves him on the bench. I think the real Robert Prange, if I'm not mistaken, was found shot in his Mr. Softy truck. Yeah, he was shot. Yeah, he was saw. That's where they found him was that he was shot up in, I believe it was in his truck or it was in his shop where his truck was parked. Um, but the the his idea of killing each other's families, according to Richard, that that was uh, that was the thing that uh, Richard decided, oh, this guy's so this guy's like is so crazy i'm gonna have to take care of him myself um i mean in robert prongy's defense uh, i mean in a weird kind of twisted way the logic makes a bit of sense you know richard's not going to want to do that to his own family and robert's not going to want to do that to his own family so i mean why not use each other's you know skill set it really is something that's almost from like a novel a spy novel that a a really high-end special forces guy becomes a mr softy truck driver so that he can just scope out neighborhoods without being noticed so that he could be a hitman like it's it's so insane that it it has to be true it really that's that's what i mean like it seems like if richard made that all up like what a waste he should have been a film director a novelist a write comic books something <laughs> yeah he would have made know, millions yeah, oh well, yeah, for sure. Because I can, I can only imagine the type of stories that he come up with in his head, you know. And we're supposed to believe that, like Richard, just kind of stumbled across this this Robert Prange's murder uh, in like some you know obscure newspaper, and you know put all this story together that you know with the ice cream truck, and this is what he was actually doing. I mean, I don't know, man. It seems pretty. It seems pretty far fetched. Maybe Richard exaggerated a bit of what Robert Prange was doing. Maybe, but I don't know. They must. He must have been a hitman, and Richard must have known him, and they must have done some work together. Now, what were some things that you 
I mean, I think in general, I really like this movie. I but I had some um, things to nitpick it. What, what what were some things that you didn't love so much about this movie? Um, to be, to be honest with you, like the whole they played up too much. Richard being like the perfect family man and like trying to set that like dichotomy between the two. I mean, in the early interviews, this is he does present that kind of picture. In the later interviews, he starts being a little bit more honest, and I'm like, but even Barbara talks a little bit more about what actually happened. It almost seemed like in the movie, there it was just convenient. It's like we're just going to use the first couple of interviews, and then we're just not going to deal. We'll deal with some aspects of the later interviews, but the first couple of interviews is a much more compelling story. So we're just going to go with that. Uh, I mean, it's this is where people kind of have like a serious problem with the movie because it presents this false picture of Richard Kuglinski where he was like he was able to just keep his ruthlessness, you know, as like a business. And he was a nice family guy when he came home. And it's just not true. He was well, you guys know from listening to the earlier Richard Kuglinski episode, he was a monster to everyone around him. Steve here again with a quick word from our sponsors. It made a, vi- a really compelling a compelling narrative arc for a movie that he was a, a family man who just c- kind of cracked once the stress came on too much. But I mean, this guy really was a monster. Barbara knew it. Barbara kept the sun away from, which they cut out entirely, the sun, which it didn't really matter. But they she really tried to insulate uh i think the son's name was joseph if i'm not mistaken but she tried to insulate him from richard as much as possible because she was worried that richard would be become jealous of the son and try and take him out or you know abuse him and that's not necessarily portrayed at all in the movie that you know this that really vindictive and jealous side of uh richard no it's not at all and i mean somewhat in defense of the filmmaker if you read the philip carlo book i mean i don't know like what type of male lead do you have to deal with there i mean they still capture that richard was completely ruthless and i mean they you know they show him killing that homeless person for no particular reason and killing that guy at the pool hall because he you know made a joke about his wife or you know uh, not his wife at the time, his girlfriend or what have you. And I, like, so they show, they show that he's a serial killer really. Um, but like, you know, we're not going to get into all the details about the Carlo book, but I mean, how, I mean, how would you depict that? Like, I don't know. I'm asking you, like, how would you do it? I don't think you could do it. You can't do it in that format. I think you, in a movie, you can't, I think it's too difficult to show those two different sides of Richard that he more or less was a normal family man. Yeah. More or less. I mean, he did. I mean, he was absolutely violent and all that stuff, but you got to also remember that this was in the fifties, sixties, seventies. I think some of that domestic abuse sort of thing that he did, was a lot more common than in suburbia, if you will, not to the extremes that Richard took it, but I think that if a cop came to that scene, I don't think that he would haul off the person. Maybe he would, maybe he wouldn't. But um, 
and the fact that on the other hand that Richard Kuklinski was a a mafia hitman serial killer it's too hard to jam all that together in a two-hour movie yeah and it's just he there's just literally nothing to like about Richard after reading the Carlo book too like there's nothing there's I don't know there's nothing to like at least like with this movie you can walk away from and obviously Richard's despicable and an evil person but you can walk away and go like you can think to yourself, well, this guy was kind of a badass, right? He was a hitman for the mob. Do you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Um, but they almost, some people say they try to make him seem sympathetic. I don't really think the film does that. I don't know. What's your opinion? I I think sympathetic might be too far. I think they're trying, they're trying to turn him into an anti-hero, I think, to some degree, when he's just rotten to the core. The, yeah. I th- he... Tr- in the I think you're I think you're I agree with you at the in the later interviews he did a lot more to turn himself into the anti-hero than even what he did when he was in the earlier in his earlier story but he's he he I, he wasn't that at all no there's nothing there's nothing remotely heroic about Richard at all I mean you can walk away even after reading the Carlo book and go I mean, at the end of the day, the guy's kind of a badass. Like, he was doing hits for the mob, and he was, you know, unlike a lot of these other serial killers, he was actually killing tough guys and, you know, guys that could probably, you know, compete with him in terms of physically and what have you. I mean, you could walk away thinking that. I know I know, I did. Um, but there's nothing, you know, there's a no, you don't want to sit and talk to Richard, you know, oh, I don't know, maybe I would if he was still alive just to kind of understand the guy a little bit better. But um, yeah, there's nothing like you wouldn't want. There's at no point do you go to yourself. It's like, oh, man, I wish I had Richard as a friend. No, no. I think <laughs> then that leads us kind of to the end of what we could do to make this movie better. And I think that We'll get into one. We'll set aside the obvious one for a minute. I think anybody who's really watched this movie and followed Richard Kuklinski, there's one obvious thing that they could do. But I think that one scene I would have loved to have seen them include was um, it was in one of the Iceman tapes. I think it was the earlier one. Richard explained this hit he did on, um, I think it was his friend even, and it was at some sort of nightclub, like 70s nightclub, and everybody's dancing disco and everything. And Richard dressed up in the most outrageous disco outfit he could find. And so this six foot five, 300 pound guy, he says he danced and shimmied all through the through this disco. And then he got up to the guy and the guy recognized him. But before he could do anything, Richard blew cyanide in his face. And um, they showed something of that scene, didn't they, in the movie? Yeah, like Leo Merckx, Nino Gaggi hires him, hires Richard to kill uh, Sicoli, who's the henchman that Roy's with, which is I never I don't understand why they didn't just use like Joseph Testa or Anthony Center. Um and he goes into the club and he do, he does the cyanide spray kill in the nightclub, but he's not wearing like the, the crate. They should have, I don't understand it. Why wouldn't they just have him put on that crazy suit and just recreate that, that scene? Um, yeah, he, Richard, he just explains it so well. And he gives you such mental imagery and the movie just fell completely flat on that one. Yeah, I, I guess the, maybe they tried filming it with the with this the crazy disco suit and it just 
they're like, no, we just can't do this. It looks ridiculous. It just takes you right out of the scene. I, maybe that's their logic. But I mean, if you're going to watch a movie about the Iceman, I don't know. Most people would probably go in there thinking, knowing a little bit about the guy, I guess, right? I, I would have just filmed it with the, the crazy suit on it because that's part of Richard's story is, you know, these crazy, you know, him wearing these crazy suits and like disguises and, yeah, you know, he's, it sounds like he had like a whole room just full of disguises with like fake noses and wigs and different suits. And now I think and I'll leave it to you. What would you love to have seen them do with this movie? I, to be honest with you, I would have me and you were talking earlier. I I would have liked to have done a, like a like a mini series, to be honest with you, where you have uh, Roy DeMeo's and Richard's story running parallel. Because we were mentioning it earlier, I would have loved to have seen uh, Ray Liotta do the Roy DeMeo story. But I also would have loved to have seen Richard's story, you know, running parallel to Roy's because they're they're connected, but they're not connected. And they're connected enough that and they are out they're at the same time that it, you could tell Richard's story and you can tell Roy's story and be like, you know, oh, we're spending 20 minutes here and then 20 minutes there and there's episode one and do, I don't know, like a five part miniseries where you show the entirety of Roy's story and the entirety of Richard's story. And I think it would have worked really well. They could have really played it up, too, because Roy was almost in competition with John Gotti. There was all that was going on pretty much in parallel too. I mean, to have the Gotti story, the Roy story with Richard Kuklinski in there and all the stuff with Neil Delacroix and uh, Nino Gaggi, all of that bouncing off of each other. I think that's the story that really needs to be told. And unfortunately, Ray Liotta can't do it. Because I mean that was that's a, one of the I think one of the things where we'll all have to live with is that Roy Ray Liotta couldn't play uh, Roy DeMeo more. If you were to do it now, who would you have play Roy? Just out of curiosity, I can't think. And especially once Ray Liotta played him, I don't think anybody. I think that's just an idea that'll never happen. Yeah, the only person I can think of off the top of my head, I know it sounds weird because he's not really Italian, is uh, Tom Hardy because he has that certain level of intensity. But still, I think Ray Liotta, I mean, he was just the the king of the mafia movie. And it, it just, I don't think it would end just out of respect for Ray Liotta. I think it has, it's, it's done now. Yeah. It's just the more I think about this mini series and the two the two stories running parallel, like oh my god, it would have been brilliant. I think that that might be something that comes back around because we're kind of in a low spot of mafia movies. The, you know, there was a big a lot of them in the '90s, the early 2000s, and, and that genre is lost popularity a little bit. I think when it comes back around, I think we'll see some good things come out that maybe like that. Yeah, and well, we need a new crop of actors too to be able to play some of these roles. A lot of these guys are, you know, they're dying now. Ray passed away, I believe. Paul Servino passed away recently. Yeah, I mean, it's Martin Scorsese is not getting any younger. Um, I mean, there's Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. Like these are old man. We need a new crop of mob guys. <laughs> yeah, I think it's maybe another. It's maybe a genre that'll be revisited and. 
viewed in a different way too. I think that this this Iceman movie in a way was kind of a throwback to an earlier kind of movie, kind of like what I mean, we haven't talked about it yet and we probably will. The Irishman was in a throwback movie, but I think we need something new out of the mob genre. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like the Irishman was kind of like Martin Scorsese's swan song to the, the whole mob genre, which I mean, really I wouldn't say built his career on it, but it was a huge part of his career. Um, I don't see him doing another mob movie. I don't see any of those guys ever doing another mob movie. That was like their farewell. And we're going to, we're going to end up doing that movie, but um, you know, it was quite, quite well done, but I, yeah, we need, I don't know, something, yeah, we need somebody, we need some different actors. We need some fresh blood into the genre. We're going to leave it at that for today. I just want to mention though, the, best thing you can do to help us in this podcast is if you enjoy what you're hearing, tell a friend, tell a couple of friends about the Organized Crime and Punishment podcast so that your friends can become friends of ours. Forget about it. You've been listening to Organized Crime and Punishment, a history and crime podcast. To learn more about what you heard today, Find links to social media and how to support the show, go to our website, a to zhistorypage.com. Become a friend of ours by sending us an email to crime at a to zhistorypage.com. All of this and more can be found in the show notes. We'll see you next time on Organized Crime and Punishment. Forget about it. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.